Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. In our last episode, we talked all about non-towered airports and how to keep yourself safe and while talking on the radio. Uh, We train in all different types of airport environments, but for some of us, it can be a challenge to fly into really large airports like Clash Charlies and Deltas. In addition to ground and tower, you're now talking to an approach, tower, ground, clearance delivery, ground again, tower, departure, and sometimes more than that. Kind of depends. It's hard to get a really good grip on everything that's happening at Clash Charlie or Bravo airports, but let's make some sense of it today on the Aviation Mentors podcast. So I trained at Riverside Municipal Airport. It's a Class Delta airport and it has a tower, so we're pretty used to talking to ground and tower pretty much any time that we move, enter, or exit the airspace. And there's a few flight schools here, and between Chino Airport and Riverside Airport, there's quite a bit of flight train that goes on um, at both these airports. A little fun fact, in 2019, the Riverside Airport ranks 24th busiest airport out of 224 FAA-contracted tower airports. So gives an idea of just how many operations happen here pretty much every day. And these controllers are super friendly, more than willing to forgive a mistake since there is you know so much flight training. But I remember my first time in a major airport. I had flown, just gotten checked out, and had my complex endorsement. I flew the Piper Arrow. It has retractable landing gear and an all-glass cockpit. And I was pretty new as a private pilot, and I was flying into John Wayne, flying over to Santa Ana. There was a lot going on already just with the plane alone. And it was afternoon, so it was already starting to pick up and get windier. Flew into John Wayne, and I landed. And I would prepared myself. I figured out the pattern altitude, the frequencies I have to talk to. And then they started telling me taxi instructions and I was looking on my map and uh, looking on for flight and trying to like, map out where I'm supposed to taxi to. And I just wanted to taxi and go back to the, you know, go back to the runway and, and take off again, leave there. It was just confusing. I was talking to ground and I was talking to clearance delivery. And I was talking to ground and I started taxiing again. And I was worried about getting on the wrong taxiway. It, it was just a lot going on. And that was my first time going into a Charlie it was, it was all by myself. Uh, so I really threw myself into the, you know, the fire pit right there. But I got really quite a bit better at it as I just did it more and more. And just like everything in aviation, it takes practice. But, you know, it's, it's quite a bit to go on. Brandon, I know you quite a bit of experience. So do you want to talk a little bit about this? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to talk about my first experience into a Charlie Airport, actually. And my first experience was before I was a private pilot. I was still a student pilot. I had to do stop and goes at a, a towered airport. The only place that was I could do stop and goes at a towered airport or full stop taxi backs or whatever we wanted to do. Uh, for that for that training session uh, was Ontario Airport, actually in this area, just due to the timing. I, it was really late by the time it got dark, I think in late May or so when I was doing the, uh, the stop and goes. Uh, but I went there at night was my first time. And I just remember them putting us on one runway because there's two of them over there. And they were letting me do stop and goes and staying in left or right close traffic. I don't remember what it was, but uh, it's staying in the traffic pattern. And there's these 737s coming in and they're just, uh, they're just filtering me in and out. Beware of wake turbulence, this and that. And I just remember seeing how big these planes were compared to my little Cessna 172 that I was flying. And it was just a really, really neat experience. I just absolutely loved flying into this big airport where there's big airplanes moving around and and you're just a small fish uh, moving around with them. But I also learned that day that they treat us as a little 172 prop plane 
pretty much as nice as the Jets. Obviously, sometimes they're going to treat them better because they're faster and they spend a lot more money on fuel and, and, and stuff like that. But in general, I've, I've had a 747 at Las Vegas wait for me to land and wait for me to take off. So the big airplanes will wait for us. It's, it's a pretty crazy uh, experience, and you only get to experience that in bigger airports like Class Charlie's. Yeah, Ontario is one of my favorite ones. Um, I, I've flown there a couple times with an instructor, but didn't really count it as a big Charlie because I'm thinking of just these really busy ones. And I had flown over there, and I was just flying by them. I was doing a class Charlie transition, so I was transitioning across their airspace. And I would contacted them, just asked for their permission to do that. And they said, yeah, do you want to come land here? We haven't had anyone land for a while. Do you want to <laughs> come land? We, we, we need something to do. Uh, cause no one was flying during, during COVID there was, it was just busy and not a lot of people were up. So it was super funny. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to go land there. So we did a quick diversion and went and landed there. It was fun. And those guys are just the most, most polite guys. And, uh, they, they treat everyone pretty much equally. And it is crazy when they say caution, wake turbulence, and you see a massive airplane taking off in front of you. Or they say, looking out for traffic, they're on a five mile final Boeing 737. And you're in a Cessna 172. It's it's a whole different world being at these bigger airports with these huge planes. Yeah, and you probably didn't know it at the time, or maybe you don't know it now, or maybe you do. I'm not sure. Uh, but they get pay and pay raises based on how many operations are at that airport. So they probably wanted you to go land there just so they can have more operations. Uh, so they keep their pay at the right levels, to be honest. Um, at least that's what I've been told by several controllers. So I know that we're going to be having a controller. Uh, on the podcast coming pretty soon, actually. So we're going to make sure we ask him that question so I can verify it from an actual source. Uh, But that's what I've heard. So I want to also talk about some of the standard procedures. At a Class Charlie, you're going to be talking to clearance delivery. You're going to be talking to uh, tower, ground, everybody. But you need a squat code to fly in and out of a Class Charlie. So your 1200 code just isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to have a squat code assigned to you by ATC to come or go out of that airspace. What you should do is you should get ATIS and then contact clearance delivery. That should be kind of the, the rigmarole of things once you're on the ground. After you uh, call clearance delivery, they're going to give you your clearance and it's going to sound like an IFR clearance if you're not ready. So they're going to tell you to depart VFR on a certain heading, climb, maintain a certain heading, do not exceed a certain altitude. Things like that, they're going to give you, and they're also going to give you a squat code, and they're going to give you a departure frequency, and sometimes they'll even give you an alternate ground or an alternate tower frequency, depending on how big they are. So you want to make sure that you're you're careful and you write down all that information, because you're going to have to repeat it back, number one, and uh, number two, it's really important information. I mean, you don't want to break other airspace, you don't want to break what, what ATC's told you to do, things like that. Uh, after you, you get clearance delivery, you're going to contact ground and ground is obviously going to do what they normally do and get you over towards the runway or the run-up or, or whatever it may be, depending on the airport you're at. And once you do that, uh, they're going to transfer you to tower. Sometimes they transfer you to tower and tell you not to contact tower, which is even more weird. Uh, they just want you to taxi for the last quarter mile or so until you get to the end of the runway. And then tower will actually just call you and say, hold short of runway two one or whatever it may be. Um, or they might even use uh, line up and wait instructions, things like that. So you want to be really careful when you're at these airports because they're really big. Usually they've got a lot of lines everywhere and you don't want to get what's called a pilot deviation. And that's basically where you break a rule 
and they in the first time as long as it's small they may just give you a little slap on the wrist they'll have you get a phone number the controller will actually call you and and talk to you about what you did wrong and that's a best case scenario Uh, but an actual pilot deviation uh, they report that to the faa there's a full investigation and it typically happens when there's a major safety issue or a major uh, break in rules so you want to make sure that you listen to them uh, clearly concisely Repeat back what they say. Make sure that you have uh, the runway uh, diagram on your kneeboard or taxi diagram, rather, on your kneeboard and very accessible to you. That way you're not breaking any rules. Uh, you're not taxiing into the wrong places, things like that, or even landing or taking off. There's usually a lot of runways and a lot of taxiways. Make sure you land on the right runway uh, and not on a taxiway like uh, a famous actor once did at John Wayne. Yeah, I'm not sure how I pulled that one off, but it is stressful to fly into these airports. There really is just so much going on. Uh, but like Brandon said, there's pretty standard ways to fly into them and pretty standard things that happen. But there's also plenty of non-standard ones. Uh, just like you said, lineup and wait instructions. Typically not something you're going to find at uh, you know, a little Delta or you know, non-towered airport especially. But it's just a little bit more rare. And once you get and experience these bigger and better cool airports and fly with all these awesome planes... That's where you're going to experience some of those things. And something I haven't had the chance to experience yet is flying into a Bravo. So class Bravo airspace, it's the most restrictive out of all of them with the requirement to have a transponder with ADSB out, a private pilot license or better, and sometimes a student pilot license with an endorsement to fly into it. But some major airports prohibit student pilots like O'Hare and LAX. And not sure about uh, finding too many CFIs that'd be happy to sign you off to go fly into a Bravo as a student pilot i would do it no you wouldn't because i asked you for it when i was a student pilot and you said no well carson it's you you didn't deserve it there's other ones that would no i'm just (laughs) kidding i'm just kidding no but i've actually signed off somebody to go into a bravo in san diego before as a student pilot Um, so there are some instructors that will do it and it kind of depends i wouldn't sign somebody off to go to like into lax Uh, but somewhere like san diego on a on an off day that's a maybe yeah well yeah, I was looking at the list, and you actually can't fly into LAX as a student pilot license. <laughs> and the most important thing to have to fly into a Bravo is clearance, 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 and you must <laughs> you must hear your call sign followed by the words "You are cleared." And ATC is absolutely not required to clear into the Bravo. And in fact, I was flying through Phoenix airspace. I was going to Chandler that one time. And I wanted to fly through the Bravo. It was just more convenient for me. It was a straight shot. Uh, otherwise, I have to go all the way around their airspace. And coming from Southern California on the way there, drops you off kind of on the, right in the middle of the Phoenix airspace. So I'd have to fly quite a bit around. So I just asked for clearance to go through the Bravo, and they cleared me through. And on my way back home, I was departing Chandler and just wanted to keep climbing and you know not go the long way around. So I asked for clearance to go through the Bravo, and they didn't give it to me. So in my personal opinion, it's a pretty strict airspace to fly through. You're going to get exact altitudes, and they're going to watch you, especially in a low plane. They're going to watch you like a hawk. So unless you need to, uh, I'd really just recommend planning on avoiding it and even the area around it because accidentally flying into it, or as we say, busting the airspace, it can lead to a pilot deviation even if you don't realize or catch yourself you know, flying through it and busting the airspace. So, Brian, I know you have some experience flying through Bravos in the Class Bravo airports. So, what's that like? I know it's a huge airport and totally different environment than flying out of you know Riverside or Corona Airport. So, one of the first Bravos I ever flew into was Las Vegas. I just don't like flying into Henderson. I'd rather go to Las Vegas airport. I mean, they give you a shuttle. They bring you to your hotel. They'll pick you up from your hotel and bring you back. 
I think it's worth the extra cost on the fuel, to be honest. But the first time I flew into a Bravo, it was very nerve wracking. There's a lot of huge airplanes. They tell you to keep your speed up to like maximum speed. If you're in a Cessna 172, your maximum speed's not that fast. But I've flown into several other class Bravos. Uh, Most notably during COVID, I actually was on a, uh, we're doing a night cross country with my friend Jason. And we ended up taking a 172 and we actually landed at LAX. I asked the controllers if we can do a touch and go at LAX. And I told my student, I said, Jason, there's no way they're going to let us do that. He said, just ask, just ask. It'd be so cool to be able to put in our logbook and say we did it. So I said, okay, fine. What's, what's it hurt in asking? They're either just going to get mad at us and cancel our flight following, which wouldn't have been that bad of a deal. Um, or they'll say yes, but you might as well just go for it. They might say yes. So I said, all right, let's try it. So I told him, okay, if we do it though, I'm landing at LAX. I'm not taking any chances. Like we're doing this. Cause he was working on his private, although a good pilot, um, he still wasn't a private pilot yet. So I'm like, I'm doing this. Uh, plus I want to be able to say I landed LAX, but he videotaped and it's awesome. We still have the video and we talk about it every once in a while. Uh, but we went over to, uh, uh, to go into LAX and they actually let us land, but they would not authorize a touch and go. Uh, they said, we'll let you do a full stop. I said, okay, can I do a full stop taxi back? They said, you can do a full stop. I said, I'll take that as a yes. Uh, and the controllers are really, really nice. And they actually let us land at LAX. And it just felt like everything was so much bigger at LAX. I mean, everything was wider. It felt like all the, it even felt like the, uh, the lines that, that we followed were bigger. And I don't know if that was true or not, or just, it was in our imagination, but it felt huge. So one of my instructors when I was training, he told me that they went and flew into LAX and his insistent was, or his student was just absolutely insistent that they'd go fly. And they ended up taxing around the airport for about an hour and a half. Uh, they flew in the air. They just, they got stuck there and the controller kept having them taxi. He said that the taxiway lights look like they were bigger. Is, is that true? Like, are they bigger, like angled upwards? Like, are, are they not the same lights we usually see? I don't know for a fact if they're the same lights or not, but it felt like they were bigger. Everything felt just bigger. So I don't know. I think that's another question we need to ask that, that controller friend of yours uh, when he comes on the podcast. Uh, but some things to expect when you're flying into a class Bravo. One of the biggest things is they might not let you land at that airport. I've had the most notable class Bravo I fly into all the time is probably uh, Las Vegas. And I would say 30 to 40% of the time, they don't let you land. And as of lately, like the past year or two, they actually do a stop of all GA aircraft. And on ATIS, it'll say Las Vegas International Airport is closed to all general aviation aircraft. And that includes generally aviation jets. They won't even let a Gulfstream land there if it's general aviation. Um, so unless it's a, a 121 or a 135 carrier that is flying into that airport, they will not let you in sometimes. So I guess when you're going to Vegas, that's the first gamble you take? Bum, bum. That was a great dad joke, Carson. Uh, I love it. Thank you. Uh, but yes, that is the first gamble you take. Uh, so I always have an alternate, which is typically uh, Henderson. Uh, sometimes I'll fly into VGT, which is uh, North Las Vegas airport, but, uh, but I prefer Las Vegas international. It's a way better airport outside of that. Just be prepared. They might not let you in. They also might make you do things that you're not normally comfortable with. They'll have you climb. They'll have you turn all different directions. Sometimes they can make you hold like in the outside of their airspace for 30 minutes or an hour or more, or just make you hold and then never let you in. I've had that happen to me before too. So it's pretty amazing. And every time I go into one of these class Bravos, I know they're busy. I just make sure that my radio calls are absolutely perfect. And I'm like the nicest person in the world. Uh, Because 
I mean, they're just people we're talking to. So if you kill them with kindness, maybe they'll let you in. Now, if they're really busy and it's pair safety, obviously they're not going to let you do that. So just be prepared when you go there. Just make sure you know what radio calls you're going to say. Make sure you're listening to ATIS. Make sure you know everything you need to know about that airport. And make sure you even know where you're, what FBO you're going to and where it's located at the airport. I know sometimes I'll go into a small airport and I'm like, can you direct me towards the FBO? Not at a class Bravo. You are going to know where that FBO is exactly on the map. And you're going to tell them where you're going to go. And they're just going to give you taxi instructions. And you're probably going to have to kind of hurry to get there. So those are some of my stories on class Bravos and why I like them so much. Las Vegas and LAX are probably the most notable that I, that I've flown at. That's awesome. I, I really just can't wait to go and fly into a Bravo flying into the Bravo airspace alone was, was stressful enough. I feel like, but going and landing at Bravo airport, just gotta be pretty awesome. And as, unless you're training out of a Charlie airport, which I know some people do, it can be really daunting, just the airspace and airport to fly into. There's just a lot going on there, and it's definitely one you want to put extra preparation to. And I'd certainly recommend not doing what I did and flying into uh, a Charlie for the first time with another pilot or another CFI first. And I know some people aren't always close to one, but down here in Southern California, we have so many airports, so many complicated airspaces, but we can't help to learn at some of them. Trust your CFI and what they tell you to do, but just know that flying into different types of airports gives you way more experience. And just like every pilot has something to teach you, so does every airport. I can't agree with you more. Every airport I've ever flown into, different. Uh, I learn something new every single time, and especially when it comes to Class Charlie and Bravos. If you'd like to reach out to either one of us, per usual, you can reach us on Twitter or Instagram at Mr. Martini Guy, or for Carson, it's at Carson underscore AV17. And as we wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.